Well, church, it's fun. It's fun to see what God has been doing in, in students' lives and his faithfulness in, in the generations, right? In, in all the generations. And so uh, today we are picking up our series on the tunnel of chaos. Uh, with our students, we've been kind of going through a similar series. We've been going through the book of Habakkuk, and so they've asked me to kind of preach these next two weeks, and so we wanted to continue the series of the tunnel of chaos through the eyes of a Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is just this minor prophet who was ministering in a time where there was chaos all around him. And so if you have your Bibles, we are in Habakkuk chapter 3, um, starting in verse 13. We also have uh, the, the passage printed out in the bulletin, and so you can find that or also in the screen ahead. So flip over to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 13. Here we go, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 13. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I, I thank you, Lord, for an opportunity, God, where we can come together as a church family and worship your name, and learn more about you, God. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak through me, God. Give, uh, give us the words, God, that we need to hear to pierce our hearts, God, to stir our affections, to stir our love, God, to, to love you and to love your people, God. So be with us today, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, there's a story of a missionary named Alan Gardner, who was a missionary from England in 1850. And Alan Gardner went with six of his missionary friends from England and traveled all the way to the southern tip of South America to a country called Patagonia. And the plan was is that they would take all these supplies and food for six months, get on the ship, go, set up camp, evangelize to the locals, uh, the native tribe that was there that had never heard the name of Jesus, and then six months after into their mission, another ship would come in, kind of restock them with food and supplies, and with the hopes of the tribe getting to know Jesus and the gospel flourishing. Well, they got on the ship... And as they approached the shore, they got shipwrecked. 
And they got onto the ocean and onto the coast, and what they found was that the tribe that they wanted to share the gospel to were extremely violent and hostile to them. And to make matters worse, the weather was extremely treacherous at this time. And so storms would come in, and it literally wiped away all of or most of their food and supplies. And to make matters even worse, the ship that was supposed to come in six months into their time there never came. And so here we have seven missionaries just trying to survive, trying to survive the conditions, and yet starvation and hunger and sickness start to kick in, and the missionaries are dying one by one. Alan Gardner was the last one to live before he passed away. And a few months later, that boat that was supposed to come months ago finally arrived, and they found the bodies of the missionaries lying on the shore and they discovered Alan Gardner's body, and his body was covered in three layers of suits with his hand clinging on to a journal. And what they found in that journal was amazing. What they found in that journal was writings while he was dying of him praising God. Let me read this to you. He wrote Psalm 3410. He said, young lions die of hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall lack no good thing. He wrote in his journal, he said, Poor and weak as we are, our boat is the very house of God to our soul, for we feel and know that God is here. Asleep or awake, I am beyond the power of expression, happy. Did you guys catch that? Here's a guy who leaves the comforts of his home leaves his family and his friends to go on this mission because he just wants to obey the calling that God has put on his life. And everything turns chaotic. Everything goes wrong. He has no food. He has no resources. He has no shelter. His life is under attack. And then he sees his friends dying away. And yet he writes in his journal that the primary or the most dominant emotion in his heart was happiness. That he was overwhelmed with the goodness of God. But church, how does that happen? Right? That, that doesn't seem real to me, right? That doesn't seem real. That, that we could actually have joy when there is chaos all around us. I mean, it's easy to have joy when things are going good, right? It's easy to praise God when the cowboys are winning or when we have a good house or we have a good car or when our kids are graduating and they're becoming the, the kids we want them to be. But how do we have joy when the chaos hits? How do we have joy when you've been diagnosed with cancer? How do you have joy when your kid is being rebellious and not turning into the, the person you want him to be? How do you have joy when your relationships are crumbling? I mean, how is that possible? And what we see with Habakkuk is that's the thing he's experiencing. He's in this situation where everything around him is crumbling. He's living in a country where people have cursed the name of God, where people don't want anything to do with the name of God, where the, the poor are being oppressed, where the wicked are prospering. 
and where Habakkuk has nothing, absolutely nothing, and yet what we see is that he still has joy. What is this joy in suffering? What is this joy in the chaos? How can we have it? That's what I want to talk about with you today. So I just want to talk about three things real quick. Just number one, first off, we want to talk about what it's not. Number two, we want to talk about what it is. And then number three, we want to talk about how to get it. This joy in the suffering. So number one. Number one, first off, is what it's not. Joy in suffering is not pretending. Okay? It is not pretending. It's not putting on a front. It's not putting on a show. It's not putting on a mask. It's not acting like you have it all together. It's not acting like you have all the answers. It's not acting or pretending like you know how everything is supposed to work. That's not real joy and suffering. Church Plano, Texas, man, we are good at putting on fronts, right? We are good at trying to fake it till we make it. We are good at trying to tell people that we have it all together, right? We got the Facebook photos where our families are smiling and we look perfect, but what happened before is we were all cursing each other out before. It's like, oh, photo, snap, I hate you, right? I mean, that's it, right? We all have those photos lying in, uh, lying in, our, in our homes, right? I mean, we put on fronts. In our student ministry, I see these kids come in, and I'm like, man, these are good kids. They're respectful kids. And I later learn, like, well, this kid's doing drugs. This kid got arrested. This kid got in a fight with his parents. I'm like, this is chaos. We're all putting on fronts. We're all pretending. And then some of us, we're kind of open, like, yeah, you know, my kid is struggling. Man, I'm diagnosed. But we just say these cliche things, like, but hey, I'm just trusting God, you know. I just know he's not going to give me more than what I can handle, right? Which is not true, by the way. God gives you way more than you can handle so that you can go to the one who can handle it. Amen? That's God. That's what God does. But we say these cliche things. And I think we're so scared to actually be real, to actually be honest, because we're afraid that it's going to make us look like less of a Christian. Because we think super Christians are the ones that, man, they're just, they're just always happy no matter what's going on. But guys, that's not the case in Habakkuk. Habakkuk is not pretending. Habakkuk has this joy, but he is not pretending. Look at verse 16. Look at what he says. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Habakkuk is suffering here. He's being very real. You see, at the beginning of Habakkuk in chapter 1, we find him kind of complaining to God. He says, God, you say you're righteous. You say you're good. You say you're just. And yet everywhere I look, it seems like your people are suffering. You say you care about justice, but I see the poor being oppressed. I see people taking advantage of, and you're doing nothing about it. God, why don't you do something? God, why don't you care? God, I thought you were loving, but you remained silent. I mean, Habakkuk is letting them have it. And then God just graciously responds. He says, Habakkuk, listen, man, 
This is what's going on. Like, I hear your cry. I'm going to deal with the injustice in your country by raising up this evil nation, the Babylonians, to take your country over. Which is crazy, right? That's like saying, God, I'm sick of America's decline in morality. Please fix us, redeem us. And God's like, sure, I'll do it. And I'm going to do it through ISIS. Right? I mean, that's what God is saying. I'm going to raise up ISIS to take over uh, America. Just, and, and Habakkuk's like, are you kidding me? Like, God, that's, <laughs> that's not what I was asking for. And that doesn't seem really just to me either, right? And God again graciously responds and says, Habakkuk, you're just going to have to trust me. The righteous will live by faith. And so what we see is Habakkuk is just slowly starting to warm up to God, slowly starting to trust, and yet he says, God, hey, I'm going to trust you, but gosh, your will and your plan in the midst of this chaos, if I'm being real honest, it still makes me sick to my core. Church, I want to tell you something. I want to give you the, the freedom to be honest. I want to give you the freedom to be transparent. I want to give you the freedom to know that it's okay not to have it all together. That it's okay to go to God and say, God, I don't know about this. God, I, I don't know if you care. God, I, I'm trusting you, but gosh, this makes me sick. Like, why can we be honest to God? Because first off, God can take it. We have a God who can take our honesty, right? You'd think God would hear Habakkuk complaining and just like throw a lightning bolt at him and be like, stop it, right? You know, don't talk to me that way. You know, but God is just gracious. We have a good, good father. He, he cares about us, and so he can take our honesty. I was having a friend this week. He came to me, and he was, he was saying, David, you know, I had a, had a pretty rough week uh, with my wife. I was like, oh, what's, what's going on? Well, you know, uh, last week my wife was sitting in the living room, and it was just kind of, you know, just kind of talking about her weight struggles, kind of complaining about her weight, and she's like, I want to lose about 50 pounds, and and so I was like, you know, I was just trying to help, and I was trying to be insincere. So I was like, well, babe, maybe you should stop eating those potato chips. And, and it went down from there, right? <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, man, there, there's always certain things that you can take to God, right? There's always certain things you should tell God to and not, not your wife, right? Um, because let's be honest, there's some things that our friends, our wives, husbands, they just can't handle. But the good news is this, is that God can. God can handle it. God can handle your doubts. God can handle your complaints. God can handle your fears. God can handle your apathy. God can handle it all. So be honest. And then secondly, what we see is, is honesty leads to healing. Right? When you look at, our, at any kind of recovery program, AA, Celebrate Recovery, Character on Purpose, what's the first step? The first step is always admit that you have a problem. It's just admit. And what Habakkuk is doing is, yeah, he has problems, but he's admitting the problem to God. And what we see is the slow transformation of healing as he gets honest with God. There was an interesting article or an interview with Bono, lead singer of U2. And uh, he was having this interview about Christian music. And he says, you know, we, we write all these beautiful songs about the gospel and about how great God is, and that's awesome, but... He says, I find Christian music to be, quite honestly, fake. Because no one's singing about their tough marriages. 
No one's singing about their kids not turning out right. No one's singing about the injustices that they see in their government. And he said, you know, if we just talked about that, even if we just sung about maybe the inconvenient, honest truths that we are, that we are experiencing, what would that do to our outsiders? He said, it would make Christianity just explode. And guys, he's right. I mean, how many times do we come up here and sing these songs, say, God, you're a good, good father. God, we need you. God, you're the only one that matters. But really in our hearts, I mean, do we really believe that? I mean, it's just like we sing it and we just kind of stuff away our doubts. And what if, what if we just came here and says, God, this is where I'm at today. This is who I am. Just take it. I don't know what to do. Being joyful in suffering is not pretending like you have it all together. It's in fact being very honest about the pain and the chaos that you're going through. So that's what it's not. Being joyful in suffering, it's not pretending. So what is it? What is this joy in suffering? What is this joy in chaos? What does it taste like? What does it smell like? What does it, what does it look like? Well, look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. Habakkuk says, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Circle high places. See, what Habakkuk is saying is what this joyful, a joy uh, in suffering is, it's a different perspective. It's this different perspective. It's this elevated perspective. It's this um, higher perspective. It's this seasoned perspective. It's this wise perspective. He gives us this analogy on verse 19 of, of the high places. It says, he makes me tread on my high places, meaning high places are mountains, right? And we know about mountains. Man, the, the, the highest place is the mountaintop, right? And the mountaintop, if you can get to the mountaintop, it's an extraordinary view, right? And you hear my dad every summer like, hey guys, I'm climbing my 14er right now. It's awesome. Go God, right? I mean, that's... Okay. You know, that's, it's just the reality of Life Point Church. I'm sorry, okay? Um, and, you know, it, but the high places, when you get to the top of the mountain, man, the view is breathtaking. I mean, it'll stop you in your tracks. You see the big picture. It's almost like, you, it's almost like you're seeing things the way God sees them, right? You just get that kind of taste. And yet, it's extremely difficult to get there. It's physically taxing. It's emotionally taxing. One slip, you could fall and possibly die. I mean, it's so tough to get there. And what Habakkuk is saying is this, is like, man, suffering, what it can do is it can push you to the top. And the thing about the mountaintop in Habakkuk's day is that that was also the safest place to be, right? Because if you had the high ground, you could see your enemies coming for miles. You had the advantage, and what Habakkuk is saying is like suffering. Suffering is an opportunity to go higher. Suffering is an opportunity to become elevated, to grow closer to God, to grow in humility, to grow in grace, to grow in compassion, to grow in mercy. I mean, that's the opportunity with suffering. Suffering is always an opportunity, right? 
Suffering can make you harder or softer. It can make you warmer or colder. It can humble you or it can make you arrogant. I mean, we've seen people get arrogant. It's like, oh, you've only been in one car accident? Well, I've been in 10. So there you go, right? It's like, well, you just shouldn't be driving. I don't know if you should be boasting, you know, in your suffering, so to speak. But, you know, like suffering can get us arrogant. It can elevate us or it can crush us. And what Habakkuk is teaching us is like, use your suffering, use your chaos to push you higher, to soften your heart, to give you a different perspective, to start seeing things the way God sees them. When I was in California, I led um, a small Bible study of seniors, senior citizens. And at first, I, I wasn't really excited about it. Right, I, It kind of felt more like a chore, and I was like, oh man, this is going to be boring. They're just going to kind of complain to me about their health issues, talk about how America isn't like it used to be, right? And this is, I'm like, I don't want to be doing this. And yet God placed me in there, and God humbled me. Because I saw people who would sit around in a circle and share their stories about how they've been through hell and back again. And yet you could see joy in their eyes. There's a lady, Susie, who was born with polio. And every day of her life was a struggle to get out of bed. And now she's a widow with no one to take care of her. It's a struggle to get out of bed. She has breast cancer. And she gets jealous when other her friends are, pass away because she wants to be with the Lord the way that they are with the Lord. There's Nadine who's a sweet, kind of meek, lovely woman, and, and, and um, she's quiet, and, and, but when you get to know her story, she's like, you know, I lost one of my kids due to SIDS when I was a young mother. There's Donald and Doris, who lost a daughter at an early age and lost their adult son to alcoholism. There was Mickey Westrup, who would sit around with his infected knee. He had a knee replacement surgery, and it got infected, and they couldn't cure the infection, and so he was literally waiting for the good Lord to take him home. There was Bruce Gregory, who was on his deathbed, was saying, come, Lord Jesus, come, as his heart was failing. And all those seniors would look at me in the eye at different points of time, and they would look at me and they would say, David, God is good. And it's not the type of God is good like a, a seven-year-old says it. It's the type of God is good as people who've gone through suffering, who've gone through rejection, who've gone through loss. And yet you can just see that they just have this different perspective. They just have this joy. They just have this humility. Where the, the, the things that used to be major aren't major. Where the things that used to be minor, they, they emphasize. Like, they would just sit in the, in the church service and hear a, a really bad sermon by me, right? And they would come to me like, good, good uh, sermon, pastor. Keep preaching the good news of Jesus. I would see certain seniors just praying during the worship, even if it wasn't the songs that they liked. And they would be praying that the message of the gospel would hit home with the new people that were there. They would come and, and just say, Pastor, how are you? how's it doing with the kids? How, are, are, they, are they getting to know Jesus? I mean, that's were the things that they were caring about. They didn't care about the trivial church politics. They just had this seasoned, different perspective. 
That's what joy and suffering is. It's not this like fake pretending like, hey, life is great. It's like, you know what? Life is really hard, but God is really good. But God is really good. And so the question then is, man, how do we get that? How do we get that? I mean, that's what we want, right? We want to be that wise sage. We want to have that joy. We, we want to have that humility. But where do we get it from? We can't pay for it. This is how Habakkuk gets it. Number, point number three, this is how we get it. First off, first off, we have to trust patiently. Look at verse 16 again. Look at verse 16. Habakkuk says, Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon us, uh, come upon people who invade us. Circle that word, quietly wait. Quietly wait. That word, quietly wait. Um, what it means, it really means to trust patiently. What it means is it's to rest. It's to rest in the God who has it all together. It's to rest in the God that is in charge. It's to rest in the God who works out all things for the good of those who believe in him. That's what it means to quietly wait. It means to rest. It means to acknowledge that we aren't in charge of our life. And that the things that are dealt to us, we might not like them, we might not agree with it, we might not understand it, but we're going to rest in, in the fact that God is in charge and He's working that specific chaos to be for our good. Now here's the deal, guys. That's a lot easier said than done, right? It's a lot easier to say, all right, everyone, when you're going, you know, through the chaos, just be patient, you know? It's like we could pop a pill of patience and be fine, right? But what the reality is, is we kind of get angry. We get bitter. We get upset when things aren't going our way. Uh, when I was moving, uh, my wife and I were moving back from California, we decided to do something very wild and get tattoos. So it was great. Um, so we got these tattoos um, of our wedding anniversary. And I think my wife just really wanted me not to forget, right? I was like, you're going to remember this, right? And uh, I actually found myself being more nervous of getting a tattoo than getting married because this, this felt more permanent to me. But um, God bless my wife. I love my wife, okay? So we're going home and we're like, you know, we're just kind of having a lot of fun and we're, we're kind of like, it was a bonding experience. And we're like, what are our what is mom and dad going to say, right? So I was like, this is going to be interesting. So I, I get home and I see dad and I'm not wearing a long sleeve shirt. I'm just like, hi dad. You know, and dad's not saying anything. You know, he is not saying one word. I get home. I say, hey mom, how's it going? My mom sees the tattoo. Ah, David! You know, what, the, what has happened to my precious third born, Right? And then she's like, George, did you know that David has a tattoo? And I just see dad in the corner. <sighs> right? It was great. All right? It was the best response possible. I was like, I'm going to get another one. This is so good, you know? <laughs> Son of Cheryl, right here, sucker. All right? Hey, I only get a couple times up here, so I got to get them in, all right? All right? 
Okay. Okay. Wait, wait. Oh, yeah, we're talking about God. Okay. <laughs> so dad's upset, right? Dad's upset. And let's be honest, the reason he's upset is because those were not the expectations that he had for his son, who just so happened to he hired as his next student pastor, right? So um, those were not his expectations. And, you know, he was getting upset about it. And, guys, here's the deal. Guys, when things don't go our way, we get upset, because we have these expectations. We say, God, this is how you're supposed to do this, right? You're supposed to, I go to church, I read my Bible, I sing these songs, I shouldn't get sick, my kids shouldn't be disobedient, I shouldn't get laid off in my job. We have these expectations. But when it goes wrong, man, we get upset. But guys, here's the deal. The, the root cause of our impatience is this, is that we are so arrogant to believe that we know better than God. I mean, that's the core of it. That's what we need to address. That's what we need to repent from, is that we think that we know better than God. And when God doesn't meet our agenda, man, we lose it. And what we need to be like as Habakkuk is to learn how to rest. It's to learn to have this open door that when chaos comes in, we just invite it in. We say, all right, God, if this is what you've sent me, I'm just going to learn from this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek you in this. I'm going to trust you that you're going to work this for my good and for your glory. And so we've got to trust patiently. Secondly, finding the joy in the chaos is we've got to remember. We've got to remember. I don't want to read the verses again, but verses 13 through 15, Habakkuk is just simply calling, remembering what God has done in his people's history, what God has done in his people's past. He's recalling the exodus of how God freed the Israelites from the hands of the Pharaoh, how God defeated evil. And Habakkuk's like, hey, I don't know what's ahead of me. I don't know how this chaos is going to play out, but I see how God has acted in the past, and so I'm going to trust him. So I'm just going to remember what God has done, and I'm going to trust him in the future. And so we got to remember. You know, remembering, it's, it's, this is kind of, a, I guess, a grisly metaphor, but when you, your fingers, if you like got a finger cut off, it would be dismembered, right? And so when you connect it, it's remembering. And so remembering is, is connecting back to the source. And God, I'm in this storm, but it's remembering, wait a second. We have the God of the storms. We have the God who calms the storms. It's when we're in the chaos, we got to remember, hey, we have the God of peace. When we're uncertainty, we say, hey, wait, we have a God who is sovereign, who sits on his throne, who is in charge. I mean, that's who we got to remember. That's what we got to remember when we're in the chaos, when everything's going crazy. We just got to remember, man, God has a history here. God has a proven track record that he does not leave his people high and dry. And then lastly... Lastly, we need to learn to rejoice. We need to learn to rejoice. You know, in verse 17, Habakkuk, he just gets real, real here. I love it. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, 
Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Can you circle that word rejoice? I will rejoice in the Lord. You know what's happening with Habakkuk? It's it's a complete economic collapse. He finds his country about to be sacked by an evil empire. He finds himself without money. He finds himself without clothes. He finds himself without food. I mean, you got to think when Habakkuk was younger, he had these expectations and these dreams of what life should be like and how God was going to bless him. And then everywhere he looks, everything has turned into chaos. You know, um, as a student pastor, I hear, you know, a lot of, I go to a lot of graduations and I go, uh, I hear a lot of graduation speeches. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of graduation speeches. And the reason is this, is not because they're long and boring, which most of them are, but, um, sorry, uh, the reason is, is because it, usually the lingo is this, is like, hey guys, dream big, dream wide, dream far, and work hard and accomplish your dreams. And if, if you work hard, then you will accomplish your dreams. And there's nothing bad about that. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey guys, dream big, dream wide, right? But it's, it's the root of that. And the root of it is this, is that you will only find joy if you succeed. You will only find joy if you accomplish your dreams. But guys, what happens? What happens when you're like Habakkuk and there's no food? What happens when your country falls apart? What happens when our seniors don't get into the program that they wanted? What happens when our senior has to go home early because one of their parents is sick? What happens when you get diagnosed with cancer? What happens when you lose your job? What happens when your family falls apart? Where's your joy then? Right? What are you going to boast about then? Because that's a reality. Nowhere in Scripture says you're guaranteed the American dream. There's a story of um, a college basketball player who went to Duke for four years won a national championship his last year, met President Obama. Um, At his school, they said he had the highest assist-to-turnover ratio. I have no idea what that means, but I guess it's a big deal, right? Um, Scouts came to him and said, hey, if you're in the second round, we're going to pick you. If you're in the second round, you're on our team. And so his dream, this player's dream, was to make the NBA. I mean, this was his dream. This was he, he strived for, right? First round comes, name's not called, no big deal, right? Second round comes, name after name after name after name is called, and none of them are his. Last one is called, and it's not his. And he had friends, had a viewing party, watching the draft. He had to politely thank them for coming. They left, and in the privacy of his car, he broke down crying. Because why? Because he put all his joy into these accomplishments, into this dream that fell away from him. So what do you do? What do we boast in? What do we find joy in? This is what Habakkuk says. You don't find joy in your accomplishments. You don't find joy in your dreams. You find joy in the God of your salvation. You find joy that the fact that God has saved you. It's joy. Joy doesn't mean the superficial happiness. It doesn't mean this artificial, oh, you know, I'm I'm happy right now. Joy, it means to savor. 
It means to cherish. It means to find precious. It means to praise. And what Habakkuk is teaching us, he's saying, find your praise, find your value, find your worth that God has saved you, that he's forgiven you of your sins, that he's healed you of your diseases, that he's pulled your life from the pit, that he's crowned you with steadfast love and kindness, that he's satisfied you with good so that your youth will be renewed like the eagles. Find your joy in that. When Jesus sent out the disciples in Luke chapter 10, he's like, guys, I want you guys to go Cast, heal people and cast out demons. So they go out they, and they, they accomplish it. They come back and they say, Jesus, man, we healed people. We cast out demons. And you want to know what Jesus told them? He said, do not rejoice that the demons subject themselves to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Don't be so silly or naive to brag about your wealth to brag about your portfolio, to brag about your accomplishments, to brag about your degrees, because you know what? Those can go away just like that. And even if you accomplish your dreams, you will find emptiness on the other side. You will find emptiness. And so Jesus is saying, don't, be, don't dare be so silly to find your joy in that. Find joy that your name is written in heaven. Find joy that the God of this earth looks at you, not as an egomaniac, not as a prideful person, not as an adulterer, not as a liar or a thief, but he looks at you as a diamond. He looks at you as a prized possession. He looks at you as one of his own. He looks at you as Jesus Christ himself. That's how he looks at you. Find joy in that. How is that possible? How could the God of the universe look at us and delight in us and and view us as a diamond, as his prized possession, as his crown? It's simple because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ saw us up in heaven from the high perspective and he saw us trying to climb that ladder up to God that we, every time we try, we failed. And he said, you know what? Since you guys can't come up, I'm gonna go down. And he lived the life that we couldn't live. He was the one that was honest, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't want to die. He said, Father, take this cup from me. And yet he rested in the sovereignty of God and God's will. He said, I'm just going to trust you. Your will be done. He lived the life we couldn't live. He was gracious when we were ungracious. He was loving when we were unloving. He was patient when we were impatient. He was just when we were unjust. And then he died the death that we should have died. We deserve to be on that cross. We deserve the wrath. We deserve the pit, man. We're not that great. And yet Jesus Christ took our shame and our guilt. He took our disease. He took our sin onto himself so that our God could view us as a diamond as his prized possession. Church, that's what you find your joy in. That's what you boast in. And when you boast in that, then you can face anything. Because then you know that the bad things that you're dealing with are just gonna end up being good things. 
Paul says, Romans 8, 28, God works out all things for the good of those who believe in him. You got cancer, you got chaos, you got job loss. All right, God, I just know you're using this for my good. We know the good things can never be taken away. I hope you believe that. First Peter says that we've received an inheritance that is imperishable. That your salvation cannot be taken away from you. Paul says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And then lastly, we know that the best is yet to come, amen? The best is yet to come. This isn't in our home. Plano, Texas isn't in our home. We know Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to make all things new. He's going to make all sad things untrue. He's going to wipe away every tear. There's going to be no more death, no more suffering, that everything is as it will be when Jesus Christ rules and reigns. So we know, man, we can face the chaos, we can face the joys, because our joy is not in this world. Our joy is not in our stuff. Our joy is not in our kids. Our joy is in Jesus Christ. I want you guys to know that. I want you guys to experience that. Because there's nothing like it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, God, we come before you today, God, and God, uh, you know, some of us are in the chaos, God. We're in the tunnel of chaos. We're coming out of the chaos, or you're about to lead us into the chaos, Lord. And it's hard, Lord, and it's overwhelming, Lord. But God, we praise you, God, that you are a good father, that you want to hear our cries. You want to hear our hearts, God. You want to hear our doubts, that you want to take that, God, and listen and comfort us, God, in our affliction. And God, we praise you, Lord, that the thing that we can boast, the thing that we can savor, the thing that we can hold as precious is nothing that this world has to offer except for the salvation that you give through Christ Jesus. God, help us, Lord. Help us, God, to find joy in that. If there's any of you in here today, Lord, um, who do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if there's any of you in here who want to taste that joy, who want to be overwhelmed with the goodness of God, who want to be on the mountaintops, to be with God, to know Him, to know his plan for your life, to know his goodness and his compassion, to want to know Christ as your Savior, then just all you have to do is simple as ABC, just admit. Admit that you've sinned. Admit that you don't have it together. Admit that you've fallen short. Admit that you're not God. But believe that Jesus Christ came, that he lived the perfect life, that he died the perfect death, and he rose again showing that he defeated death and offering everlasting life and then commit your life saying, God, I will choose not to follow my path. I will choose to follow you for the rest of my days. And if you said that in your heart, the Bible says that you've received everlasting life. And if you did that, could you just take that connection card and circle an A, just write an A and circle it. And pastors here at LifePoint, we'd love to to connect with you and and tell you about the joy that we now share together. God, we love you. There is no one like you. We praise you, God, 
God, help us, Lord. Help us when we are weak. Help us when we are strong, God. Help us 24-7, Lord, to find our joy in Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.